You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Hi, Annie here for Showreel, looking at things Australian and the moving image. And today we're talking with director Luke Eve, who is holed up in Spain, but is finally getting a release of his pre-COVID movie, I Met a Girl. It is now out on Netflix Australia, New Zealand. I Met a Girl centres on Devon, a young musician who has schizophrenia. He is striving for a normal life. Surrounded by a caring, if not bemused family, he sets out to achieve his own life destiny through a search for a young woman he is certain is his soulmate. The others in his life aren't convinced she even exists. Lots of tension and lots of self-revelation for Devon, but also those around him. It is written by Glenn Dolman, who wrote Bloom and High Life, and begins in Perth and takes us across country to Sydney. Here's my chat with Luke. Now, um, remembering that the very first time I had anything to do with talking to you was around a film called Flying High. And uh, in lots of ways, there's a relative similarity to the trajectory of this this film because uh, I met a girl, because it's really about uh, someone who has mental health issues being allowed to have a real life, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, that's brought back nice memories of flying high. (laughs) Um, uh, Exactly that. Like Glenn, the writer, and I wanted to create a piece that was about, you know, the seriousness of of mental health and of mental illness, but that it wasn't the end of your life. You know, it was about as long as there was a acceptance of that and a, a, a taking responsibility for uh, that mental health situation, then, then, a, then a life could persist, you know, a life could exist. Um, and, and I think that was the message that we wanted to get across, that just because somebody has a mental illness, it doesn't mean that's the, that's the end of it, you know. I think with, you know, majority of my work, I guess, in terms of that tackles mental health and mental illness is exactly that like that it is uh it is it is just a a fact of life for them but you know life can uh still carry on yeah well it's quite captivating because uh you do it from the point of view of the the person who's a lovely character but you also you actually interrogate the um importance to the support people to that person how they define the support people themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And again, um, one of the lovely aspects of Glenn's script, I think, was that, you know, the POV was very much from 
uh, Devon, Brenton Thwaites' character, but, you know, mental health often has a massive impact and a massive effect on loved ones. And one of the strengths of the script or one of the things that I loved was that it wasn't just about how Brenton or how Devon would, would deal with that situation, but how those around him would also uh, either suffer or, or deal with or be challenged by. Um, and we wanted to explore that and show that as much as we could. And I think, you know, the brother's relationship or the brother relationship in, in I Met a Girl is one of the sort of storylines that I'm sort of most proud of, I think. Um, and I think, you know, on the, the few people that uh, have seen it in terms of test screenings and stuff that I was able to talk to, I think that is, you know, we always get amazing feedback about Nick, uh, Devon's brother, and how wonderful a character he is and how truthful that and authentic that um, that storyline is, you know, about how tough it is to, to love and or to live with somebody uh, that is suffering from a mental health uh, issue. Um, yeah, yeah, but so it's, not, it's not just that. It's actually um, how it self-defines. Like, it's a two-way street. It's not just that he's doing a... He's not just doing a good job as a brother, a loving brother, but yeah. actually you have to confront your own um, martyr complex, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I. that's exactly exactly right. Like, I think Nick becomes all consumed, I guess, with, with dealing with his brother so much so that it, it starts defining him as a, as a character, as a human being. And I, I think, you know, his whole life becomes always, his whole life revolves around looking after Devon to the point where that's his main purpose in life. or well, that's what he thinks his main purpose in life yeah. is. The point where, he, you know, he, it comes at a, a cost of his own, happiness to a degree and his own ability to be able to live and love and, you know, just relax. So, um, and then, you know, it, the film also explores a little bit about when you take that relationship away, uh, is Nick a bit lost, you know, yeah. to a degree. I, I think that was uh, really so great. Right. Yeah. I, I, look, I love that as well, you know, yeah. that care aspect and how that defines somebody. Yeah, and I love the uh, the way it it's sort of like it's a, like a Russian uh, doll sequence because then you've got they're holding on to it's like they're holding on to a, uh, a a rope in a stormy sea because it then moves on to the wife who is also should you know we should salute the wife who is yeah. so caring of her uh, her uh, it's not like anybody's a rubbish person if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, the thing I love about, um, you know, uh, Zara Newman's character, Olivia, is that, she, you know, she is dropping truth bombs throughout, you know, throughout the uh, the film in that she is the only one who feels capable of being able to kind of just drop a, an element of truth about Devin's situation and how perhaps uh, they should be dealing with him, you know, because she's maybe one step removed. It's tougher for Nick and his parents. So um, I love that aspect. I love, I love how uh, Olivia comes across as tough, you know, and sometimes maybe a little uncaring, but I think she loves Devon just as much, you know, and is, is trying to see it from a different perspective because she also understands how much it's tormenting and how much it's troubling her husband, Nick. And she wants to, she wants to see both of them happy, 
you know. It's very impressive the way you're able to make a film that uh, uh, covers the landscape of emotion in such a way. I, I find it really compelling. And I was also really, uh, I found it really compelling watching how you were able to use in uh, very uh, careful editing and placement repetitive actions in a way that was so informative. Like, example, the brother and his breakfast routine. There's a yeah. whole sequence in that that's so uh, beautifully defining. You, you have a capacity to make film uh, powerful in its simplicity, but it's obviously been a complicated process getting that sequence to work. That is a lovely thing to say. So, <laughs> so thank you very much. Um, yeah, I guess we were just trying to show in a very economical and, and efficient way how Devon's life is sort of has become a little controlled by Nick, not in a bad way, but they just try to create a routine for him to make life sort of comfortable. So we were just trying to show a way that, uh, you know, Nick fixes breakfast for Devon every morning and how that gives meaning and purpose to both of their lives in a way, like you rightfully said at the beginning, I think when you take that away, Nick feels lost as well without that, uh, without that little routine in the morning. So it becomes equally as important for both of them, I think. Um, and it's hard in a way to kind of show so much story in a very short amount of time. But I think little devices like that um, help in some way. Well, the I saw Brenton Thwaites in that film, uh, A Conversation with God. Hmm. And uh, it's a quite a different type of uh, presence on screen, but he has a very yep. strong presence. How did you get him to be part of this project? Yeah, so Brenton, uh, we were lucky enough to, um, like many years ago when Glenn and Adam and I first started working on the project, we we talked about a sort of wish list for, for people and, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of filmmakers say this, but Brenton was you know, with the actors that they end up getting, but Brenton was the top of our list. He was the person that we most wanted for that role. Um, you know, he is such a charming, charismatic, vulnerable, fun. You know, he had all of these qualities that we thought Devon needed. Um, and and a oh, and he's soul. handsome too. Uh, look, he's he's amazing. Good looks uh, mm. definitely help. He's a very he's a very handsome guy. So. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, there's just something very kind of sweet about him. And, uh, so, you know, I like early on a couple of years before the project got off the ground, I, you know, he happened to be back in town and I was, I was in Sydney and I, I flew up to, uh, Queensland to meet him. And we, we had lunch and we'd previously sent him the script and we sat down and he talked to me about a whole bunch of ideas that he had about the character and things that he loved about the character. And, you know, Brenton is a, you know, he's a young father and loved the idea that Devon just wanted what he thought was a normal life. And that was what he saw in Nick, you know, uh, um, just having a, what he thought was just a normal life, having a wife and a child and things like that. So Brenton really emphasized with that. He, that was something that really kind of stuck with him and, you know, Brenton loves playing the guitar and having a bit of a sing as well. So that kind of spoke to him in a way. Um, and so I, you know, I loved instantly some of his thoughts about the character. So we just gelled 
And he stayed on board for those couple of years that it took to, you know, finance the film and get it off the ground, which is always the way in Australia or anywhere, really, just independent films these days are just really hard endeavours. So um, he was a real champion of the project and and stayed on and until we got it off the ground. And then we were lucky to be able to shoot in a window that was between uh, shooting windows of him on Titans at the moment, the... Um, the DC series that he headlined. So, uh, so it was great. And he was, yeah, just an absolute joy to work with. Like he really is like, I, I cannot speak highly enough of his enthusiasm and passion for the project and just, you know, turning up on days when he wasn't on set as well, just wanting to be a part of it and just such a lovely, no ego, uh, dedicated actor. It was wonderful mm. to have him on board. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe G'day, I'm Warwick Thornton and uh, you're listening to 3CR You're with Annie on Showreel and we are chatting with Luke Eve about his film I Met a Girl which has just released on Netflix Australia New Zealand The other thing of course the pro- uh, getting money for it Western Australia was that part of the beginning you know because he, ha- he travels right across the country and so and I noticed there was a little edit from C- Canberra to Sydney which I thought was really cute because I know that area really well <laughs> people from America and stuff who watch this, oh, this film won't know how far it actually is because yeah. as soon as he started that I thought oh he's going to die <laughs> um. Yeah, it all sounds good on paper, doesn't it, when somebody does a road trip across <laughs> from Perth to Sydney and then when you try to film it and squeeze it into, uh, you know, a feature-length film, it, it becomes quite difficult. Um, we, you know, the film was always set in Perth and then, you know, the road trip was from Perth to Sydney. So we um, had a relationship with a couple of producers in, in WA, um, Factor 30 Films, which is Melissa and Ryan, and so they came on board early and, you know, we spoke to Screen West and they were massive sort of champions of the project and they came on board uh, and we ended up shooting, you know, five and a half weeks or something of the six weeks in WA. So um, they were right behind it. I think Perth was showcased in a way that maybe Perth hasn't been showcased uh, on I film. I thought which so is, too. Um, it was nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of projects up until the last year or so have probably shot in WA and, use the amazing scenery outside of Perth in a way for their films uh, because it is, you know, so spectacular around there. But we really wanted to showcase Perth as a, as a really, you know, vibrant, beautiful city. Um, and so we were able to kind of show a number of locations that haven't been seen on, on film before, which was great. Uh, and that was the sort of kicking off point, I guess, for, um, for Devon's journey across Australia. We, you know, we then went out into, you know, there was a few hours there was an area about uh, three hours north uh, northeast of, of Perth that sort of doubled as the outback. And then we we did a various few other stops along the way to try and um, 
depict his his journey across Australia, and then we we finished the film by shooting in Sydney, sort of three days in Sydney, which was very hectic, but uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, if nobody's if you haven't been to Perth, it's not very, as soon as you leave the environs of Perth, it becomes the outback. <laughs> it, it does. So we didn't have to travel too far outside but, yeah. Perth really to get those beautiful big sort of desert landscapes and everything. So, I mean, it, it, it just worked out so beautifully for us. And, you know, shooting in WA, I'd shot lots of documentaries and things around WA, but not uh, not narrative. Um, and so it was great. We we actually arrived a sort of month or two out from, from official pre-production, Adam, the producer, and I, and... Um, and just scouted locations just because we, we had so many of them. You know, we had something like 60 locations, which is a little bit nuts for a sort of, you know, lowish budget indie film. Um, and so that was our biggest challenge in a way, was to just try and get 60 locations squeezed into a 30-day shoot um, and and really try and put some production values up on screen, I think. How, how many people were in your crew? Um, gee, that's a good question. And I should know that. It was... Um, you know, it wasn't like a massive crew, but it wasn't a tiny little, you know, it was probably, uh, God, I don't know. Do you mean like, in like, no, in so you of, had, you had a truck, you had a truck with all the, yeah, 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 you know, we had, yeah, lighting and, you know, grips, it wasn't, and, you know, so we had, to, yeah, we had all the gear. No, it wasn't definitely, it wasn't like a very low budget gorilla or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, it was a, 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 a decent sized crew, but, um, uh, definitely not as as big as some films, but it was it was you know a good sized kind of circus moving around WA. Yeah. So, All yeah. right. So so you're getting better and better at this sort of um, like sixty locations is a lot. It, it's that yeah. It's almost too many. You know. I mean, and I'm, I mean, we had more than that to begin with as well. And I remember our first AD sat us down and was like, look, you've got to make some changes here, boys. And uh, <laughs> so we sat down, you know, a couple of days, uh, Glenn and I and Adam with a, you know, red pen and chopped some stuff out and just to try and make it a little bit more doable. But it was, you know, it was a very, it's a very ambitious project, I think, and a very ambitious script. And and Glenn wrote something very kind of beautiful and magical and 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 something very unique, I think. And we really wanted to try and hold on to the essence of that as much as possible. So, you know, you're trying to fight for, you know, all of your locations and your actors and trying to hold on to that as much as possible to, you know, increase the scope, I guess, of your of your movie and its production values and its appeal. So um, I'm very proud of what we put on screen at the end for, you know, the budget and the resources and the time we had. But, um, yeah, hopefully that works. Well, Glenn's actually a very complex writer, isn't he? Like I was, it occurred to me, you know, there's certain elements, for example, when he goes for a job seeking at the, at the in the ending section and he goes into the music shop and the guy recognises him as a musician, not as a person yeah. with uh, schizophrenia. Yes. I, I, it, it was so such a great little moment of um, reality. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it was really neat thing Love to that. do. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I actually I, I cried think... a little bit in this film. There was a couple of bits in it that just took my breath away. I just thought Oh, good. oh. I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do Love I. that. I, I... <laughs> it's mm. um you know, I'm yet to apart from some test screenings and things we had, it's uh you know, the release of the film has been has been fraught with, <laughs> you know, trying to navigate and juggle the the pandemic. So it's been it's been tough. I'm, you know, 
we were meant to release in certain cinemas around the world. And so I haven't been able to sit in any public screenings in a way, which has been a bit heartbreaking. But um, the couple of screenings that we have had have been, you know, laughter and tears and, you know, all the things mm. that you want out of an audience. So it's uh, that's lovely to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be screened on Netflix because it has become quite difficult to get it out there. Yeah, we, you know, it's it's been it's been tricky to navigate how to release uh, a film <laughs> during this time, um, and you know, we played around and had several kind of options available to us in terms of how we would get it out there, uh, and then we were lucky enough to uh, secure a deal with Netflix, and I I think that's fantastic for the film, obviously in terms of eyeballs. Um, like I said, you know, most filmmakers, you know, obviously I would love to see it as a, in the cinema and things like that. And, and, you know, that was debated amongst us. And we just feel like, uh, you know, getting it out on Netflix really kind of increases the amount of eyeballs that we can get it in front of. Um, and it is tough even in this day and age, like to, you know, get it out into a cinema and have it play for so long. And, and, you know, people are still a little bit nervous about going into movies or enclosed spaces. So I think being able to have it on, on a, on a, on a platform which reaches pretty much every household in Australia is is fantastic for us. So it's a, it's and a great result. And, and the world, yeah. So it's it's just uh, it's Australia and New Zealand at the moment. So um, and then we'll see uh, uh, what happens after that. Like it's been sold off to different territories around the world. So um, but at the moment, just Netflix in Australia and New Zealand. So. Uh, but it's a great result. We're, you know, we're chuffed that it, it gets to get such a big release. That's it for Showreel this week. Don't forget that the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is screening a program of films at Nova in Carlton on April the 18th. I noticed a film we featured a while ago, The Legend of Five, was showing on ABC Me recently, which is great to see. Also, Brazen Hussey's got a screening on the ABC the other night and is available on iView, a must-watch docu on the growth of women's liberation in 1970s Australia. A quick word about a doco showing at Nova now. Not Australian, but extraordinary. Your politics and power are your purview. It's called Collective, a must-see. Anyway, that really is all for this week. Talk soon.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.